Amen. So this morning we are uh, continuing in our uh, post-Easter series entitled Face to Face, where we're reflecting on, upon some of the instances where Jesus came face to face with people after His resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we've, we've looked at a couple different stories so far in the past couple of weeks. We've looked at uh, Jesus coming face to face with Thomas and the rest of the disciples. And last week we looked at Jesus coming face to face with these two disciples on the road to the town of Emmaus. And, and today we look at, at the interaction of Jesus as he comes face to face with Mary Magdalene. Face to face with Mary Magdalene. We hear these words again um, from John chapter 20. Uh, Starting in verse 11, it says this, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. As she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So we see Mary in this moment really of, of grief and pain. Uh, Mary is, is known as Mary Magdalene, Mary the Magdalene, actually kind of as a reference to where she comes from. That's where her name originates. And really, we don't know a lot about her. There really isn't a whole lot in the scriptures. I know there have been some things, like the Da Vinci Code, for instance, if you remember that movie and that book. There's a lot of things that have been amped up and kind of told about her. But in actuality, we don't know all that much about her. What we know and what the Gospel of Luke tells us is that she was a woman who, at one point in her life, um, it says, had, had about seven or more demons attacking and possessing her. And Jesus came and, and freed her from that, rescued her from that, and then from that moment on, she began to follow Jesus. And, and the hints we get in the Scriptures is she was kind of on her own, but she was a wealthy woman. She was a, a well-known woman with means, but, but she followed Jesus. And actually, she was one of the women that funded Jesus' ministry, believe it or not. So she was very close to Jesus. She followed him because he had impacted her life. He had transformed her. He had met her and saved her. And so here she is at his tomb, weeping and grieving, because she knows that that this was the one, this was the Savior, that this is the one who rescued her, and and she had her hopes in him, and and then she saw him crucified. And now she's coming to the tomb to kind of pay her respects, to show him honor, and they would do that by bringing spices, um, by kind of putting them around the tomb, and even sometimes putting them on the body to have the smell be pleasing and not be, you know, like a dying, like a rotting corpse, but they would put on those spices. And so she's coming to do an honorable thing for Jesus, the the man who saved her, the Lord that she worshipped. And then all of a sudden she gets to the tomb, and it's not there. It's empty. And she's wondering, where is the body of Jesus? Note this, in nowhere in her mind did she ever think, that Jesus could possibly be alive. She went there expecting to find a dead Jesus, and when she saw that there was no Jesus in the tomb, she didn't immediately say, great, he's alive. No, she became even more grief-ridden because she came to do a last honorable thing, and even that was robbed of her, full of grief and pain in this moment. But let's see what happens next as we continue reading. As she's in this moment wondering, where is the body of Jesus taken? Then says this, having said this, she turned around and then she saw who? 
Jesus. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she still doesn't know it's him. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. I will take him and honor his body. And then Jesus said to her one word, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. In other words, she probably at this point is kind of on her knees and grabbing him and saying like, you're alive. He says, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced to the disciples that I have seen the Lord. In one moment, with one word, she goes from filled with grief to being filled with joy. One word. Jesus simply said her name and she recognized him. She saw him and all of her grief melted away and was filled with joy and purpose and excitement. Her grief is turned upside down and all of her hopes are met in Jesus being with her face to face. So what does this mean for us? What is this brief, it's not a long story, just a handful of verses, a brief interaction between Jesus and Mary, what does this mean for you and me? How does this make sense or apply in our life? I think really it teaches one big truth, that Jesus is in the reclamation business. Jesus is in the reclamation business. Maybe you've heard that term before, something being kind of like a reclamation project. It can be in reference to a number of things. Sometimes you maybe refer to it like furniture, something in your household that once looked great, but through time or misuse or kids, it now doesn't look so great. And it's kind of worn down. And maybe, you know, you put it at a garage sale. Maybe you put it out. And some people, or even you throw it out. And some people may find it and be like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to reclaim it. I'm going to take it. And it once looked great and beautiful. And now it's gone down the dumps. But I'm going to take it and reclaim it and bring back to its former glory or even turn it into something new that is beautiful. Uh, Maybe you think about that in terms of like businesses or cities. When me and my family moved to southeast Michigan uh, almost six years ago now, um, we moved to South Detroit, which I know isn't a thing. I know, regardless of what the song says, South Detroit is not a thing. That's Canada. You can look it up on a map, and you can know that. But we lived in the southwest, south suburbs of Detroit, and we lived there. And one of the things that we found out when we started driving around kind of the greater Detroit area, and especially into Detroit, is there are a lot of those places that became kind of these reclamation projects that that you look at the pictures, you look at what Detroit was, and it was beautiful and majestic. It was kind of the city in the Midwest. And and then then it's vacated. There's a lot of empty lots, a lot of run-down places, and now there's a lot of places that are being reclaimed. People are coming in to say, hey, we want to make this beautiful. We want to take and reclaim it. Or maybe you've heard reclamation projects in terms of sports and athletes. You know, sometimes 
teams will take a, take a risk on a player and they're like, they're going to be a reclamation project. Maybe it was a top prospect. Maybe it was someone who was really good at one point, but through injuries or age or just decline in abilities, they're now taking a risk and they'll say, hey, we're going to come and reclaim this person, help them get their career back. You know, that's what some of the people in the NFL draft, which happened later the, earlier this week, that's what some of those draft players were. Maybe they, they weren't being drafted because there were risks going to be a reclamation project, which by the way, as an Eagles fan, to the Lions fans, thank you for DeAndre Swift. We're very much looking forward to his addition to our Super Bowl run, so thank you. All right, but reclamation projects. Someone who is at the top, come down, reclaiming them to past glory or to a new bright future. Jesus is in that business taking something that was beautiful, but in one way or another has become broken, we as Christians would say sinful. And he reclaims it. He redeems it. He brings it back to something beautiful, something that is redeemed, something that is, is what it's meant for. And that's what he does. And this story shows us that. He, he does it in two ways that I want you to see. Is, is Jesus reclaims people, he reclaims you, reclaims me, reclaims all things in these two ways in this simple story. He reclaims it by taking people who are in hopelessness and turning them into people of confidence. He takes hopelessness and reclaims it, redeems it, transforms it into confidence. Back to Mary real quick. She's full of grief in this moment. But I think it's a step beyond grief. I think what she's feeling and what she's expressing is hopelessness. Which is kind of grief, but like amplified. Because it's like, there's no way forward. There's no hope at all that the situation she's looking at is just like, there's no way forward. There's no way anything good can come out of this. And if you actually look at some of the other accounts of the women going to the tomb, who were the first people to see the resurrected Jesus, when the women went to the tomb, a number of the gospel writers say that that they went and they wondered what happened to the body. And that word wondered could actually also be be translated as confused because the Greek word, you guys are going to get a quick Greek lesson, don't worry, I believe in you, is the word apareo. You guys say that? Apareo. That was okay. All right. You guys are getting there. What that word means is this, is it means to be confused, to be wondering where we're going to go, and it's actually like a compound word. The, the a means no, nothing. And then the word pareo or paras means way. So literally the word is this, no way. They're confused because they look at their situation and it looks like there's no way forward. That that's where they were. And yet what happens is they interact with the resurrected Jesus and now there's a way. Have you ever felt like that? That you're in a life situation where you look at it and you're like, there's no way forward. 
You have a relationship in your life, and there's like, there's no hope for this. There's no way this can be fixed. There's no way that this can be redeemed. There's no way that we can be reconciled. You look at maybe your financial situation, you're like, there's no way that I can go forward. There's no good that can come out of this. There's no way out. You look at your health, and you say, listen, the, the place I'm in, there's no way things can ever get better. You look at the decisions you've made, and maybe you're filled with shame and guilt, and you look at your life, and you look at who you are, and you're like, there's no way that I can go forward because of what I've done. I have so much shame and guilt. I have so much baggage. I can never have, have a relationship with someone or whatever it may be, but you feel like there's no way I can go forward. There's no hope at all. Mary was there too. And then she met the resurrected Jesus. And he said to her what he says to you, I've made a way. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus shows you that the final word in your life is not death, is not failure, is not loss. It is resurrection. It is new life. It is second chances. It is restart. That is the word that God speaks to you because Jesus is alive. He comes to you in your situation that you're like, there's no way. And Jesus says, I have made away because he is alive. And you can look at your life, you can look at your situation, and you can say, if God could do that, if he could raise a guy from the dead to never die again, what could he do with your relationship, with your finances, with your health, with your shame and guilt, with whatever situation where you're like, there's no way. What could a God who takes death and makes a way into life, what could he do with what's in front of you? See, Mary knew that, that there was a way forward, and God shows you that there is a way forward. And what that shows you is that you do not need to be hopeless. You can be confident. Even though you don't know what the future looks like, you can be confident that God is alive and he's made a way where it looked like there was no way. And you could be confident to trust him, to lean on him. Because with Jesus, nothing is ever hopeless. I don't know if you heard me. With Jesus, nothing and no one is ever hopeless. That's what Jesus does. He reclaims hopelessness into confidence because he is alive. Secondly, Jesus takes people of fear and reclaims them into people of peace. People full of fear into people full of peace. You look through all the scriptures, this is what God does. This is his M.O. This is how he works. Is he takes people who are in fear, who are always afraid, and he transforms them and makes them into people of peace. And one of the ways he does it, you can look throughout the scriptures, one of the major ways he does it, it sounds so simple, it sounds simplistic. But you know how he does it? To take people from fear into peace? Is he calls them by name. 
He calls them by name, and he takes them from fear, and he brings them into peace by calling them by name. Like, look at Mary. That is exactly what happened. She is looking at this man next to the tomb of Jesus, and she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't recognize him. She's full of grief, and she's full of fear. And there's a lot of people who wonder, like, why didn't she recognize Jesus? Was she just like, her eyes filled with tears and full of grief, she was confused, or was there some supernatural thing at work? We don't know. All we know is this. She didn't recognize him until he said her name, Mary. And everything changed. Everything changed in her in that moment. She was no longer full of fear. She was full of joy and peace. And that's what God does. Let's think about names for a minute. Um, Maybe you've never thought about this, but names are given to us, right? Like, just like your family, you didn't choose your family. And also, they didn't choose you, by the way. (laughs) You were just born into them. And they give you a name. They give you your first name, and you got your family last name. You inherit it. You're given it, and it's placed upon your shoulders, and now you can do stuff with it. And in a sense, you're forging your reputation. You're forging your way forward and showing people who you are. And it's all associated with your name. And let's just be honest for a minute. We mess it up all the time. We can look at the history of our life and we put a lot of dirt on our name. If people were to see all the things you and I do in our life, the seen and the unseen, our names would be tarnished. We'd muck it up. And when someone in authority calls you out by name, I think for me at least, and maybe for you, the initial response is that of fear. Like think back to school, and you hear over the loudspeaker, Andrew Michael Prinsati, please report to the principal's office. My first reaction is an oh joy. It's fear. Someone in authority calls out to you by name. You're filled with, oh man, what did I do? Because I know I did a lot of stuff. What did they find out that I did? Maybe you've had that same reaction where someone in authority calls you out by name and you wonder, oh man, they're going to call me out. And maybe you feel that way about God because he knows your name. He gave you that name. He really did. He gave you everything that you have in your life. He gave it to you. And let's just be honest for a minute. How good of a job have we done with with stewarding our names and stewarding all the things God has given to us? I'll, I'll go first. I haven't done a great job. In fact, I mess it up more than I more than I get it right. So what's he gonna do when he calls us out by name? I think about a story from the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah, a prophet, is speaking to God's people, and they're about to go into exile. They're about to be taken from their homes and face the consequences of their actions of rebelling against God. They were God's chosen people, and they were given a mission to proclaim who God is and to show God's way of living. And they would do that by by worshiping him alone. They would do it by caring for the needs of, of their neighbor. They would do it by looking out for the people who were oppressed and by bringing justice. And you know what they did? They messed it all up. They didn't worship him. They didn't meet the needs of their neighbor. They 
they overlooked the needs of the oppressed and they even trod over them. And God calls them out. And he's bringing them into exile to show them the consequences of their action. But, but as they're going there, Isaiah 43, verse 1, it's so beautiful. As they're going into exile, here's what God says to them. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by what? By name. You are mine. See, when God calls us out, yes, he calls us out and shows us you have not lived up to your name, the name God has given to you. But in the same breath, he shows you what he's done about it, that he's redeemed you. He's won you back, that he promises to be with you, that he calls you by name. He knows your name and says what? You are mine. And when you know that, no matter what you're facing, you have peace. Because even though you've messed it up, even though you've done a, a terrible job at, at showing honor to God and love to others, God reminds you that he knows you. And what he does is not what so many other people do, is by giving you what you deserve, he gives you what you don't deserve. His grace and his mercy, his forgiveness. And, and those aren't just words, he showed it by action. By the cross, by blood and nails to show you, you are mine. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine and that gives you peace no matter what you face. You know, what actually helps me see this peace is actually a hymn, a, a song that is often taught to children. And maybe if you grew up in church as a little kid, you remember this song too. It's called, I Am Jesus' Little Lamb. Anybody ever heard of that song before? Maybe you learned it when you were really little? Yeah. I Am Jesus' Little Lamb. And we teach it to children because it's a very simple song. And yet, it is very profound. It is profound because it speaks to the fact that, that when Jesus is our shepherd and we are his lamb, we are his sheep, we have peace. The very opening line of the hymn says, I am Jesus' little lamb, ever glad at heart. I am. I am at peace because I have a good shepherd. And then the rest of the hymn talks about times in life when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, and it's kind of in reference to the difficulties, the ups and the downs of life. And you know what your shepherd does? He gives you what you need every step of the way. And even as you face death, what does it say? He is with you. And even in death, he folds us into his arms and in his care. There is nothing that can separate us from his love and his presence, and that gives us peace. But you want to know my favorite line in this hymn? This simple yet profound hymn? It's the last line of the first verse where it says, He loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. This good shepherd knows me. This good shepherd knows you. And he calls you by name, not to bring judgment upon you, but to bring grace and mercy and to drive out your fear. He gives you peace because he knows your name. There's an odd little tidbit in John's gospel here. 
where Mary is wondering, who is this man standing before him? And you know what she calls him? She says, maybe he's the gardener. And I love that John adds this line in because I think it's a, it's a, it's a nod to the very beginning of the Bible, which when God made everything and he put the first humans, where did he put them? In a garden. And you know what God has been doing ever since we broke it and we, we made a mess of his world and of his garden? You know what he's been doing? He's been reclaiming it. He's been redeeming it. Because God, Jesus, is in the reclamation business to take you from hopelessness to confidence because he's alive, to take you from fear to peace because he knows you by name. Amen.